Corinthians. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles? Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to really focus in on verses 17 and 18, but we're going to talk about a bunch of verses around those as well. So grab your Bibles. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> As you're turning there, and you don't, don't worry if you haven't got there yet, we're going we're gonna to dive into these verses more deeply. But let me read verse 17 as you're, as you're getting yourself there. Verse 17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And there, there's something about that verse that, that draws us in. This whole idea that, that there could be freedom. I mean, freedom is it's an ideal that's sought out across the globe. People looking for freedom. People go to war to either secure or to protect freedom. Think about our time right now. Something as simple as this little piece of cloth, right? Where, where people are saying, hey, you have to wear that. And, and how people are reacting to something like this, somewhat shocking. Why? Why? Because there's this feeling of people like, you're taking my freedom away if I have to wear it, Right? The fight isn't about a piece of cloth on their face. They they feel like you're impeding on my freedom. The freedom I want to look at this morning, so much deeper than just political freedom or physical freedom or financial freedom. There's a deeper freedom because, because, listen, you can be free physically. You can can be so free that you're enjoying everything that this world would have to offer of us living in a free society. And and yet in that freedom, you can still be completely enslaved. And, And the opposite, I believe, is true as well. You could be in the most dire of situations where all your freedoms feel like or maybe literally are stripped away. And listen, being transformed by the Spirit of God having a life that's been given to Jesus, filled with the Spirit, you could experience, even in those times, the greatest freedom. A freedom like, unlike any other freedom you could ever imagine. A freedom that goes far beyond any freedom that's promised by our world. A freedom that can take the neediest person on earth and cause them to become the, the wealthiest, spiritually speaking, person. Freedom that could take the most oppressed person and cause them to know the highest of joy and freedom. There's no freedom like this we're gonna unpack this morning. How do we get that freedom? We're gonna talk more about this. How do we get it? And then what we're gonna see as we dig into God's word this morning, the way to this freedom, to this lasting deep soul freedom is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also notice, if you get your Bibles open now, look at the verse 17. It says this, The Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is. Now, I would say this. I I could probably safely say that everybody in this room, everybody who'd be watching online, or maybe even listening to this as a podcast later, every one of us would be desperate for freedom. There's an area maybe even right now in your life where you're like, man, I do not feel this freedom in this area. It's a struggle. It's difficult. And we'd be desperate to feel that freedom, to experience that freedom. If that's true, if we're desperate for freedom, then then what's this verse say? Where the spirit of the Lord is, if we're desperate for freedom, it would make sense then to be desperate for the spirit of the Lord. To be desperate for God's presence. To be desperate to know him. So if, if in our lives we desire freedom, 
And not even just in this season where, where although it might be highlighted a bit more, we feel the, the removal of some freedoms even more. But when freedoms, when, the, when they're real or when they're perceived and they've been, they've been taken away, we, we react. Because we're desperate for this freedom. When we're restricted. Like right now, you, you can't go to the places maybe you would normally go. You can't do the things you would normally do. You, you can't, you can't, you, restrictions on, on, on school, on church, we've got them, right? And, and don't you feel, you kind of feel that restriction. I mean, I feel every time I leave, I don't know if you're like me, every time I leave Walmart and then I, I take this thing off, I'm like a survivor on the Titanic coming up for air for the first time, right? I'm just like, I'm free again. Listen, this desperate desire we have for freedom, even over such little things, let that desperation show you where your heart is. What are we really desperate for? Are, are, are we desperate for real freedom? Are we, are we desperate for the spirit of God? Because that's what it says here, that where the spirit is, there is freedom. Are we desperate for the, for the glory of Jesus Christ? Are we that desperate? Because look at verse four of chapter four, because here's what our situation actually is in the world today. Verse four says this, in their case, the God of this world, that's talking about Satan, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, so if where the spirit is and the spirit pointing us to the gospel of Christ, that's where freedom is found. It says here that for those who don't know Christ, they're blinded. They can't see this freedom. But I would even say this, that those of you who know Christ, you may not be blinded, but Satan's at work distracting for sure. Pulling our eyes off of where freedom is found. So again, with this desire for freedom, do, do we really want to see the glory of God? Do, do we want to see his power, his presence, his work, his transformation? I mean, the verse we had read earlier that Jesse read for us from Exodus 32 33, where God says to Moses, he says, hey, Moses, I'm gonna give you the promised land. I'm gonna give you ultimate freedom. I'm gonna give you everything you've been seeking for. You can have all the freedom of this world. But then God says this, I'm not going with you. Because of your sin, you're gonna go on your own. I'm not gonna be with you, but you can have everything your heart desires. And Moses says, not a chance. I don't want the promised land without the promised presence of you. And so what does he say? He says, show me your glory. Uh, I want you, Moses, so desperate, not just desperate for the freedom that this life would offer, not just desperate for the promised land. He's saying, no, no, I want the ultimate freedom, God. I want the freedom of your life revealed in my life, your glory. True freedom, it comes as, we, as we're desperate for the spirit of God to work through us, to show us the good news, the glory of Jesus Christ. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's only through the spirit of the Lord as he's working and showing us, revealing to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look what happens. Look at verse 18. Because it says this, and we all with unveiled face, so, so no longer blinded, no longer distracted, if you know Christ with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image this image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When the veil's lifted, when we see Jesus, the, the glory of the Lord, the glory of this good news, not a religious system, 
but a relationship with Christ. It's that spirit moving in you when, when, when it becomes the only hope you have. When you said, Jesus, you're it. I, I, I'm no longer my own. My life is no longer my own, but here's my life. It's in that moment. Paul's saying here, you are set free. Taking notes this morning, just three points this morning. Here's the first one. It's this. My freedom is found in Christ alone. My freedom is found in Christ alone. Are you seeing that as we unpack this? And listen, you, you may have grown up in church or been in church a long time, so that statement, my, my freedom is found in Christ alone, is not that mind-blowing for you. You're like, oh, thanks, Pastor Kai. I kind of get that. I've got that. It's kind of simple. But here's my fear. My fear is that there'd be many people who would call Harvest home who actually don't have this freedom, who actually aren't followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we can become so blinded. And, and so all of this just becomes another religious activity for us to do. It's just something we do because we've always done it. But we're not desperate, listen, desperate for the presence of God, for the power of God. If God were to show up today and pull you aside after the service and say, listen, you can have it all. You can have the perfect family, the perfect marriage. You can have all the stuff you ever wanted. You can have perfect relationships. You can have a great job, a great social life. All of that's yours, but, but, but you won't have me. I won't be with you. I mean, would you take that offer? That's the choice that Paul's putting before us here this morning in this letter that he's writing. See, because Paul's not writing a, a group of people who don't care at all about the Lord. He's actually writing to a thriving church from the outside. The church in Corinth, it would have been the church to be at. If, if, it, was, if it was here uh, in our community, that would be the church we'd all be wanting to go to. It, it had the, the best worship. It had the best preaching. It had the best, the best programs. The people there were super gifted. So all their ministries seemed to be just full and thriving. And yet there was a problem with that church. They actually missed Jesus in it all. So Paul's writing these letters saying, you're striving for all this, but you're missing the point that... Being a Christian is more than just this name you carry with you. It's God's spirit in you. There's no freedom apart from his work in you. That, that you've been changed from death to life only as you put your hope in Christ alone. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean to put your hope in Christ alone? Now, Paul's unpacking this, and he's unpacking this by using, going back to the book of Exodus and talking about what happened in Moses' life and the children of Israel. And so let me, let me catch you up a little bit before we read the verses here, what's going on as we get to what Paul's talking about. God had delivered the people of Israel from Egypt in just a miraculous, huge way, a display of his glory. They're, they're set free from captivity. They're on their way to the promised land, but first they stop at the, this mountain, Mount Sinai. They're at the base of the mountain. Moses goes up onto the mountain. He says, I'm going up to receive God's law so that, that we can know what does it look like to walk with God. And so as Moses is up on the mountain, the mountain is just covered with a picture of the glory of God. Thunder and lightning and this dark, dark cloud that hovered over the mountain. So these people just in the unbelievable visual presence of what God's glory would be. And you would think, man, they must just be floored with God's glory, except they weren't. In fact, in Exodus chapter 32, they don't have their eyes on God's glory at all. They actually, listen, they actually started to worship an idol they made themselves. They took this gold they had, melted it down into this little golden cow and started worshiping that as their God. 
they literally took a gift that God gave them because they, they came out as slaves. They did not have gold on their own, but God in his grace, he, he gave them, the Egyptians had to give them all this gold as they head out. So they've got all this stuff, this gift from God. They take the gift God gives them and start worshiping the gift. That's what this whole series has been about. When, when, when you think of glory, giving God glory, think worship. So let me ask you this, what do you worship? Where does your heart go? What, what gets your attention? What do you give your time to? What is it that gives you hope and life? What is it that you would, you would sacrifice almost anything to get it or sacrifice almost anything to keep it? What, what is that in your life? Because to boil it right down, sin is really this. It's our hearts directed to worship, give glory, our hearts directed to worship something or someone other than God. That's just basically what sin is. And, and we're looking for value and identity and purpose and hope and salvation. And we're looking for it in people or in stuff or in our image or in comfort or control or even religion and good works. So here they are worshiping this golden calf. How, how does God respond to that sin where their worship and their glory is no longer directed towards God? But well, God, God, God responds. Moses comes down off the mountain. If you've seen the movie, right? That's when he smashes the tablets, right? He comes down, sees what's going on. And then God says this in Exodus 32, 10. God says to Moses, basically, hey, come over here for a minute. Just step away from the people because I'm gonna wipe them out. In fact, he says this, my, my wrath against them is so hot it's going to consume them. God hates sin. God's not indifferent to it, right? To, for God to be indifferent to our sin, indifference would be the opposite of love. But he, he loves us so much to hate our sin. He hates it. He hates it, why? Because it rots our souls. It rots out our families, our churches, our communities for generations to come. It separates us from God. It separates from the spirit of God. But wait a minute, it's where the spirit is, there is freedom. Our sin now getting in the way of that. And I'm so glad that, that as casual as I can be about sin, that God's not casual about it at all. That Jesus is not casual in his grace for us. That he's like, I'm gonna wipe out every sin in your heart to set you free. That's real freedom, freedom found in Christ, set free from sin. Not, not just playing church kind of freedom, but real freedom, a freedom that comes when we treasure Christ above everything else. It gets to a place where you treasure Christ so much, you're not just repenting of your sin, you're also seeing how even your obedience falls short. Even all the good things we do, you say, yeah, that doesn't make still misses the mark of God's glory. That yes, we still want to walk in obedience, but, but when you treasure Christ above all else, you start to see your obedience as an outflowing of a heart filled with worship where you see God as worthy. And so we obey as this act of worship. But listen, we understand as we're doing that, that our obedience does not save us. Following God's law was not the answer. I mean, in Exodus 32, they're breaking the law even before Moses brings it down. And then you read through the rest of the Old Testament and just it's page after page of, of the children of God failing miserably, never meeting the mark, never living up to the standard of God's holiness. Listen, we can't either. 
God's law is not a ladder to climb to get to him. God's law is placed there for us to run into it like a wall and to be hit by this impossible standard where we say, I'm done for. I can't do this. I need help. And the law there then shows us what? Our desperate need for Jesus. We need the spirit of God to move in our hearts, to change our hearts. Why? Because a spiritless Christianity that we can be so easily caught up into is a, is a Christianity that says, I need to perform for God. I mean, to really be set free is when you hit that place of desperation and you say, God, I need your grace and mercy today. I can't do this. I need Jesus. Because my freedom is found in Christ alone. Now Moses goes back up the mountain and he goes back up there. And it's when he goes back up the second time, that's when he has this conversation with God where God says, listen, listen, these people are so stiff-necked. I'm not going with you guys. I'll give you everything you want, but I'm not going with you any longer because of your sin. And Moses says, listen, I'm not after the promised land. I want your presence. Listen, what do we see here? Becoming a Christian is so much more than just, hey, get out of hell and get into heaven. Your sin definitely, scripture's pretty clear, our sin will send us to hell. Our only hope is putting, is putting our lives in Christ and, and trusting in his death on the cross on our behalf and that he rose from the grave to, to conquer sin and death and we put our hope in that. But becoming a Christian is so much more than just, good, I get Jesus as my ticket out of hell. No, listen, to become a true Christ follower, Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. Christ is the reward. And we're set free when we see him as that worthy. We're set free. It says here that it's the spirit of the Lord that does this work in us to set us free. Now, what does the spirit of the Lord set us free from? What's the spirit of the Lord set us free to? Our second point this morning is this. Here's the first thing we're set free. We're set free to see our need clearly. Set free to see our need so clearly. What happens is God reveals his glory to Moses. And we read in, in Exodus where, where Paul's gonna start talking about here, where Moses comes down off the mountain. He, he says, God, show me your glory. God says, I can't show you my full glory or you will die, all right? But I'm gonna show you just a bit of my glory. I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of this rock. I'm gonna walk past you. You're gonna see a bit of my glory. Then Moses, after just that little tiny bit of God's glory, he's coming down off the mountain. As he walks down, the people start freaking out. Why? Because his face is glowing. It's, it's this, this shining coming off of his face. So what does Moses do? He, he puts a veil over his face. Now you read in Exodus, it kind of gives the impression that maybe he's putting a veil over there because, well, I don't want to freak people out. So I'm going to, Moses was the first guy to wear a mask. He starts to put on a mask, right? But let's read verses 12 to 16 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter three. You're going to see the real reason for this veil that Moses puts on. Verse 12 says, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses. Okay, wait a minute. So Moses puts on a veil. There's something going on here. Moses was not bold, so he, he puts on a veil. What's it say? Who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. What's it saying? This glory revealed on Moses' face shining. What it's saying there is it's starting to fade. It's not a permanent transformation in Moses' life. Let's keep going. Verse 14, but their minds were, were hardened. 
For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the old promise of God, the, the covenant that started on Mount Sinai, they're saying, this is the law for you to follow. When they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So it starts as a veil over Moses. Now Paul's going, this veil, it covers the real glory of Jesus Christ. A veil now over people's hearts. They can't see, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Saying the, the glory that Moses was experiencing, it's this temporal glory. It starts to fade. Moses puts on a veil to hide this. The, the old covenant, a glory that was temporal, fading. Why? Because a new glory was coming. All of what was going on in the Old Testament pointing to Christ. That there's coming a deeper transformation. A glory that's not just about an outside glory, but a heart that would be transformed. Paul says that our hearts, though, are veiled from seeing that. They... they, they blinds us to the, the glory of this grace. We're blinded and because we're blinded, we can miss the real freedom because we're not set free by the old covenant. You're not set free if, if you're just obeying these outward commands, but, but you have no desire in your heart. There's no freedom in that. When it's just outward commandments we're going after, listen, you're trapped. You're either gonna be trapped in rebellion or you'll be trapped in religion. You'll either go this way, where you read all the laws, man, I gotta do all this stuff to follow Jesus. Forget it. I'm not doing it. I'm going after my own thing. And we go after rebellion. Listen, it does not lead to freedom. Or we can say this, we can go the opposite way, which seems better in a church world, but, but it's just as damning. We, we go after religion instead. I'll try to measure up with this, this outward external compliance, but in my heart, I don't really want to. That's not freedom, that's slavery. And there's this veil that Paul's talking about here, a veil that would fill up churches with people who are locked in religion without any heart change. Hardened minds, hardened hearts, blind to the truth. The truth that Jesus is the only way to life. There's no way to God except putting our hope in him alone. Where we come to this place, we see our need that I'm a sinner, completely separated from God. No hope of of. of filling that gap in between me and God's holiness, but then you believe, Jesus, you can do this. And you give your life completely to Christ, trusting him as Lord of your life. And my prayer is this, God, unveil more eyes. Maybe even this morning, as, as God's word is going out this morning, that if there are hearts that are veiled, that they would be unveiled. So there'd be testimonies, more testimonies coming out, like the testimonies we hear where people would say, you know what, I, 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 I went to church as a kid. I, I didn't understand it. I was, it was kind of like it was just all happening around me, but then my eyes were open and then I saw, I saw clearly who Christ was and I've been set free. And I have a freedom that this world can, can never give me. I have a freedom this world can never take away. And the only thing that'll stop you from experiencing that freedom is a veil, a covering, something that will, will cover over this glory. Oftentimes, I think this veil can be something we grab. We're offered this free life and, and we say, well, what do I need for this? And Jesus, you need to be broken and humble and repent and come to me. And we're like, mm. instead we grab a veil. We grab a veil of blaming 
justifying, minimizing our sin. We start to blame, say, well, it's not my fault that I'm, I'm acting out like this. It's, it's my family, man. You, you don't know what my marriage is like. You don't, you don't know what my parents are like. You, you don't understand what my kids are like. You, you don't know how hard my work is. You don't know what the church has done to me. You don't know what my situation looks like. And we start to blame, right? When Moses first came down off the mountain and they're worshiping the golden calf, Moses pulls Aaron aside. Aaron, who was supposed to be leading while he was Moses on the mountain. He goes, Aaron, what's going on? And you know what Aaron says? He says, well, you were gone way too long. That wasn't what caused the sin to be exposed, to, to come out. It, it exposed, but that didn't cause the sin. Our stress does not cause the sin. The trials of this season does not cause us to sin does not cause us to drift from the Lord. It will reveal it more for sure. By God's grace, it'll reveal our need for his grace more. I love how when God's glory begins to shine, these veils we, we use to cover ourselves so to say, well, my sin's not that bad. Pretty soon those veils become very thin looking, don't they? Let's take off the prideful veil of blaming, the prideful veil of justifying, the prideful veil of minimizing our sin. When we minimize our sin, we're minimizing our Savior. Grace becomes so small when we treat sin so lightly, but when we see that God hates sin, God has a wrath against sin, he, he's a God of justice. He's not just gonna sweep our sin under the rug, but instead, listen, the payment of, for sin is, is destruction and death, but the good news is that Jesus... He took that justice on himself so that you and I don't have to. He took our place so that when we're broken and humbled by our sin, it's Jesus who now lifts us up. Paul's saying there's this greater glory that came. The old glory being done away with now is this greater glory comes and the glory fulfilled. Jesus comes as the perfect one, the one who can take away your sins and my sins, the one who absorbs the full wrath of God towards sin. The whole point of Exodus 32 is pointing us to our need of Christ. Here's a third point. I, this freedom that comes that shows us our need, it also does this. It sets us free to see God's glory and to reflect God's glory to see God's glory and reflect God's glory. Verse 18 says that, that with this unveiled face, we can now behold the glory of the Lord. I mean, let's just pause for a second. We could kind of rush past that a little too quickly sometimes in church. But, but listen, that if you know Christ, if, if, if you truly know him, you have this unbelievable privilege, this, this unbelievable blessing and honor of being able to say that you've seen the glory of the Lord that you've experienced the freedom of Jesus, that, that you've been saved and set free. Listen, there are so many who have lived and died without Christ. The veil never lifted by the Spirit of God, never able to behold the glory of God. And they enter into eternity separated from God forever, but here you are. And by God's grace, the veil lifted. I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't this impact us a little bit? God, why me? 
How come I've got this privilege? I mean, it should instill worship in us. There should be this humble place where we come into church and church filled with tears, tears of brokenness for any sin that stands in the way of us seeing Jesus as worthy. Tears of joy that, that God would have removed the veil from our eyes. And if you're bored with Christianity, I'm telling you, the veil is still up in your heart. I mean, do we really understand the gift of grace? You were dead in sin, destined for hell, separated from God for eternity, de destined to a life without freedom, and God removed the veil for you to see his glory. How do we experience this freedom? If Christ has removed the veil and you now have an opportunity to behold his glory, how do we live this out? Well, verse 18 says this. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, this is amazing, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's it. How do we live this out? Well, we, we become what we behold. And we're actually gonna become what we behold. So the Spirit of God removes the veil so that we now can behold Christ. And the result of this is that we're transformed. That is, as we continue to look to Jesus, we're, we're turning to the Lord. We set our hearts on Christ. The, the Holy Spirit helping us to be able to see him more clearly. We begin to see and appreciate and value and savor and cherish and treasure Christ as Lord. And what happens? We're transformed. The word there is a metamorphosis, that it's an inside-out change. Our hearts, our inner desires, our longings are being changed. So listen, we want what Jesus wants, and we're free. Practically, it looks like this. It looks like husbands, that because you're seeing Christ and savoring Christ, now your heart wants to lay your life down for your wife to love her like Christ loves the church. It means for, for all of us that we would want to serve and give and go and, and live our lives for the sake of others. Why? Because we're, we're being changed from one degree of glory to the next in the image of Jesus Christ. We're set free to look and live like Jesus. One degree. Degree by degree. Growing more every day where the spirit of the Lord is, there's that freedom that, that tomorrow God's gonna grow me again. The next day, there's gonna be another change in my life as I see and savor Christ more and more. So my question is this, are you looking for freedom? Are you looking for that? Man, I wanna be changed like that. Listen, the answer is found right here. It's found in Jesus. That even this morning, your entire eternity can be changed. As you surrender your life to Christ, Believe that he lived and died for your sins and he rose from the dead to defeat sin, sin and Satan and death and you believe in him. Listen, it's not what you do, but you believe in what he has done. You'll be saved. You'll be given a freedom like you've never could ever thought possible, this freedom in Jesus. But see what it's saying? It comes in what you behold. Because you become what you behold. When you behold the glory of Christ, you're transformed then into the image of Christ himself. You, you don't become like Christ by beholding TV all the time. 
You don't become like Christ by, by beholding the internet the most this week. You don't behold, become like Christ by beholding social media all the time. You don't become like Christ when you fill your life with the things of this world. What are you beholding? What is it that you put before yourself over and over again? Because you become like Christ when you behold the glory of Christ. When you expose yourself moment by moment to the glory of Christ. So let me end this way with just three real quick, three quick ways. How do I do that then? How do I behold? How do I get to that place where I see this glory? Look at verse six of chapter four. Chapter four, verse six says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. I, I recognize my sin. I want this light. I want this glory. It says this, has shone in our hearts to give the light. What light? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? That, that I behold Christ. I see his face when I have this knowledge of his glory, that I know him. So, so, so what are the ways that I can behold Christ? Here's one way. It's just, do you know Jesus? And, and the best way to know him is through the word. You're not reading the word because you're trying to get a check mark. You're reading the word because you're saying, I want to see Jesus. I want to know him more. And there's a story of when Christ was after he'd risen from the dead and he was still um, on earth and he's just, he has not ascended to heaven yet and he's, he's meeting up with a bunch of disciples and he meets up with a couple of these guys that are walking on this road, a road to Emmaus and he comes alongside them and they didn't recognize him. They, they were part of his, his entourage while he was on earth. They should have known him but they didn't quite recognize him for some reason. They're discouraged. They didn't know Jesus had risen from the dead yet and, and they're talking to them and it says in that scripture, it says that Jesus began to teach them. He took them all the way, it says, from Moses through the prophets explaining the scriptures according to who he was. So he's like going, hey, let me show you about this Jesus. It says by the time he gets done that, breaks bread with them, their eyes are open and they see Christ. Here's what I get from that. These are guys who were with him the whole time. Remember when Christ said, it's better for me to go? Because if I go, I'm going to send you my spirit who's going to be able to, to work in you. And listen, here's the thing we've got, the advantage we have. Even more than these guys, that when we see Christ in the word, we see his glory on display. Be in the word. Look for the glory of Jesus. Be transformed. Behold him. Be with Jesus. Let, let that occupy your heart and your mind. Listen, when you behold yourself, that just leads to despair. And the more I look inside, I don't want to look there anymore, right? When you, when you behold relationships, more saying, that's my hope, that just leads to disappointment because relationships will always disappoint. But if you behold your stuff, it's just going to lead to discouragement. But instead, let's behold Christ. Let's occupy ourselves with Christ. Let's get to know him in the word. And here's the second thing. When you start to see him more and more in the word, you're going to behold him this way. You're going to start to worship more. You're in the word, you're in worship. And you've heard us say this a lot from the front here that you worship your way into sin. That's how you get out of it as well. We worship our way out. It's our hearts that were drawn to things other than Christ that drew us into this place of sin. So we're gonna worship our way out. We're gonna see the Lord. We're gonna see his promises. So, so hey, how do, I, how do I find this freedom? It's not try harder. It's rejoice in, embrace, understand more the truth of the gospel and in rejoicing in that that Jesus has fully taken care of whatever need you were sinning to get. Jesus is saying, I've got that need covered. 
start to recognize that all of our sin, whether it's, it's anxiety or fear or bitterness or, or anger or lust or, or, or lack of self-control, all of it is us trying to rescue ourselves. And so, so the real rescue happens when you move your heart and you begin to see something greater than those things, more glorious. So it's not just look away from your sin, but, but look to something greater and your heart's filled with worship. Here's the last thing that happens. So we, in, in the word, in worship, and I would say this, it's also as we witness to what we've experienced, do we behold more of this glory? Not only do we, do we become what we behold, I believe that we, we proclaim what we prize. You see that, that time in the word knowing Christ leading us to worship, that worship then leads us to proclaim. Why? Because we start to see the value of Christ. When we prize Christ, we proclaim it. What happens? We, like Moses, begin to shine out this glory. But here's what's so great. It's not just an external glory that's fading, but your heart being changed from the inside out. And this is a longing in my heart. My heart would be this, that, that God, would you, would you create in us a church that reflects your glory? That in spite of this season that's so hard, maybe, maybe a better way to say it is because of the season we're in right now that, that, that the Holy Spirit would, would come in power among us. That the liberating power, freedom power, revival kind of power. That, that, that we would be living in such a way that the world would see and they reflect something different. Why? Because we've been in the word seeing the glory of Christ. We've been on our face and worship as those who are set free. And it's so simple, isn't it? And yet it's so hard. Set your affections, set your focus on Jesus. Behold him. That's where the spirit moves. Listen, that's where there's freedom. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. We're, we're gonna respond in worship right now. And as we do, I want us to prepare our hearts real quickly before we do that. So as the worship team comes up, I'm just gonna ask you where you are right now that you just bow your heads and begin to prepare your hearts for what we're about to sing from what you've just heard. And here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray this. God, what am I looking at right now that I need to turn away from? What idols have been built up? What places have you gone to? What sin is, is just continually to come up and you're like, Lord, Lord, I need to be transformed from this. Then I would say, start there. Start saying, God, I'm beholding this and I don't want to anymore. Where do you need to ask the spirit to begin to reveal more? I would say this, be specific. And bring it in repentance to the Lord even now. As an act of worship, God, here's my fear. God, here's my complacency. Maybe you can pray specifically for, for where God has you. Maybe you're as a, as a husband or a dad. We could ask, Lord, Lord, this is what I want to release and I want to reflect your glory. How do you want to reflect it as a husband and a dad? As a wife or a mom? How we reflect God's glory? as a single person or as a student, how are you gonna reflect God's glory? What's drawing your heart right now? He said, Lord, this is grabbing a hold of my heart, but I, I, want, I want to reflect you. I wanna see your glory. 
that you bring your heart before the Lord that you would see again. Ask the Spirit to reveal it again. God, I want to see your gospel, that I would see Jesus more clearly, that I would recognize what he has done. And that as, the, as the, the picture of the gospel is before you, that your heart will be drawn to treasure that above all else because that's where your freedom is. It's so good and right to say, God, would you show me that? God, I want to see your glory. That you get to the place where you say, listen, Jesus, I realize you brought heaven to me, but I don't want heaven if you're not there. I want your presence. I want your power.